Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Thank you so much for tuning into the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And if you are a new listener, welcome to the show. And thank you so much for tuning in. So I am still flying high on all of the black girl magic (laughs) because at the beginning of this month, I had the amazing opportunity to attend Essence Fest and it was my very first time attending the event. It was my very first time in New Orleans. It was also very my very first time partnering with a brand for an event. So I am a Dove partner. I have been for a bit over a year now, and I had the opportunity to attend the event on behalf of Dove in support of the Crown Act. And if you are not familiar with the Crown Act, it is a legislative bill that was recently passed in the state of California that outlaws Um, racial-based hair discrimination in the workplace and in schools against natural hairstyles such as afros, locks, twists. We've all seen the countless news stories of people who were told that their natural hairstyles were unprofessional or unkept or of students who were sent home from school or unable to participate in activities because of their natural hairstyles, which is absolutely ridiculous. And while even the fact that we have to make laws about this is frustrating in and of itself, it is something that will hopefully drive some much needed cultural change. So I had the opportunity to attend Essence Fest on behalf of Dove to really spread the word and get awareness to this important, important cause. And it was an incredible honor being in a brand new city surrounded by so many incredible black women. Y'all, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. It's not like that out here. Even my flight over there was just all of the black girl magic. I just was in heaven for like four days, just being surrounded by people who really felt like my sisters, who even though we kind of all came from different walks of life, we had so many commonalities in terms of, you know, what we were passionate about and what we were there to do. And we were all just able to relate to and embrace one another so much. And it was incredible to meet some of the amazing, amazing women that I met. Oh my gosh. And that I had the privilege of hearing speak or even just be in the presence of, I mean, I'm still a little bit starstruck and inspired and exhausted, <laughs> but I, I loved every minute of it. And I think quite possibly the best moment of my experience at Essence Fest uh, was Saturday night at the Superdome in New Orleans, listening to Michelle Obama's talk that she did with Gail King. And funny enough, I actually met Gail King about an hour before she went on stage to talk to Michelle Obama, which was really funny. Um, 
on the screens at the Superdome as they were having their talk. They actually showed photos from the book club meeting that the Balanced Black Girl Book Club did with Michelle Obama back in the spring. So as you may remember, we actually had the incredible opportunity to meet Mrs. Obama, to talk about becoming, to have a really wonderful discussion with her. She did meetings with book clubs nationwide, and it could have been photos from any of those book clubs on the screen, um, but her team chose photos from the Balanced Black Girl Book Club, and I was excited and shocked and blown away by that. And so there were so many incredible moments at Essence Fest, but I honestly think that that was probably my number one favorite. So if you've never been to Essence Fest, we got to get on it. I totally want to go next year. I need to go back to New Orleans because it was a beautiful city that I had so much fun in. And it was just an incredible adventure filled with all of the black girl magic. And I am still writing so much inspiration from it. Before we get into today's interview, I would love to share with you the review of the week. This week's review says, love the sustainability content. Thank you for doing this podcast. I especially enjoy the content related to low waste and sustainability. This podcast has introduced me to so many diverse voices that I never would have heard otherwise. It even inspired me to sign up for Literacy Lounge and to do a waste audit. Thank you again for the awesome podcast. Thank you for this incredible review. She is referring to uh, episode 40 that we recently did um, with Moji Egan, which was a really, really fun interview. Moji is a um, low-waste living advocate, a sustainability consultant, and shared a lot of really great tips and tricks for how we can all live more sustainably and take care of our planet. So if you've not yet listened to that interview with Moji, I highly encourage you to do so. She is wonderful. And I'm so excited excited to hear that you signed up for the Literacy Lounge. So the Literacy Lounge is a company founded by another former Balanced Black Girl podcast guest uh, or co-founded by Harmony Tamalavea, who is wonderful. And it is a subscription program, essentially, where every month you get um, a book written by a Black author and a bunch of self-care goodies. So they're all about promoting black literature and self-care. It's a really great program. So we will have links to both of those episodes in the show notes. Then we'll also have a link to the Literacy Lounge in the show notes as well, because it's a really, really great service. And really my goal with this show is to introduce you to black women doing incredible work so that you can buy their programs, subscribe to their subscription services, listen to their advice, hire them for consulting if they have what you need. Like that is what this community is all about. So thank you so much for that wonderful review. And if you have not yet left a review of Balanced Black Girl Podcast, please do so on Apple iTunes. It really, really helps the show. It is one thing you can do that is totally free, that only takes a moment, that really, really helps us grow the show. It is how iTunes determines how to rank the show. It's how we get shown to new people. So please, when you have a moment, take the time to review. I appreciate each and every one. Okay, so it is time to dive into today's interview. And today we are talking to Kristen Iris. Kristen is a film producer, speaker, and coach helping Black creatives cultivate liberation, joy, and power through deep personal work and Black creative expression. 
In helping Black folks dismantle their internalized impressions and stand in their power, she works in particular on healing the Oreo complex, which we talk a lot about in this episode, which is the idea that you aren't Black enough, really questioning your own Blackness. As a creative, she shares powerful messages through her writing. She's actually currently working on a novel and a screenplay, videos, and her podcast, Melanated Rising, which is meant to inspire, uplift, and ignite Black creatives, all while changing the narratives around Blackness. Her mission, whether in her art, coaching, or speaking, is to challenge and break down oppressive power dynamics and systems by inspiring and igniting Black folks into their greatness and their capacity to make great change in the world. I loved talking to Kristen. She is super passionate, so knowledgeable. I learned so much from her, and I know I say that every week, but man, the women that I talk to are just so, so incredible. I really enjoyed this conversation, loved her energy, and I think that this is an episode that each and every one of us will have something to think about afterwards and something to walk away from, uh, to really noodle on as we figure out how we navigate through this world as creatives, as professionals, as consumers of products and of content. It really makes you think about the practices that a lot of us have been taught. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Kristen. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yes, so happy to have you. So for those who are just meeting you, can you tell us a bit more about your background, where you're from, and what you do? Yeah, so I, my, I'm Kristen Iris, and I am from Chicago, born and raised and still live here. I tried to escape for a, briefly for a little <laughs> bit, and it didn't work out, and I ended up having to come back. Um, so yeah, so I'm in Chicago and I am a film producer with Magamine Media, which is a black woman owned, uh, feature film and television production company. And I am a speaker and a coach. And as a coach, I specifically work with black creatives on doing the deep personal work that they need to, to clear their blocks, to really dive into their internalized oppressions and to dismantle them so that they can then step big into their creative work, into the life that they want to live, into really who they actually are. And for me, creative is really anyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's something that kind of gets a little confused with people. They're like, do you mean like art? Do you mean like painters? I'm like, I mean humans. (laughs) (laughs) So to me, a creative, everybody is creative in some way. Everybody is a creative and it doesn't matter what your arena is, whether it is in community organizing, whether it's art, whether it's film, whether it's business, medicine, um, technology, whether you're an engineer, it, it takes a creative mind to do anything. And the reason I say creatives is because my work with people has an element of the personal work and then what you're creating in your life. Mm. So the two are juxtaposed um, with each other in, a, in an interplay that allows both to grow um, through the lens of each other. So doing that deep personal work to step bigger into your creative work, but also using your creative work to challenge and do the deep work as well. Mm. I would really love to dive into that with you because there are so many nuggets that you just touched on that I would love to explore. So first, the idea that 
everybody is a creative. You don't necessarily have to be creating like a physical piece of art or a performance art or um, kind of a textbook definition of art to be considered a creative. Um, And also that creative expression is not always external, but it can also very much include kind of what we're creating in ourselves. I would love to explore that more. So what brought you to that space of really supporting the creative expression of others? And how did you get here? Oh, gosh, I feel like that's such a long story. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I mean, I feel I've been a creative my whole life. Um, I my 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 favorite place to play is in writing and particularly fiction writing fantasy and science fiction novels is what i love doing i'm also now diving into uh, screenwriting but i was always a creative i was always looking for creative outlets and creative my writing is actually one of the places where i was first really able to explore more about myself and so i have done many things over this entrepreneurial career <laughs> And um, over the last, I would say in the last 10 years, in the the pursuit of different things, in the pursuit of, um, I used to teach yoga, actually, and I bring a lot of the things that I learn from teaching yoga into my, my work with coaching just off the mats. Um, but I was in this, for like an eight-year period, I was in this like very kind of tumultuous time where... I was really, I was really having to do the work myself. I was having to look at like what was making me so unhappy, why I was feeling stuck, the conditionings that I had fallen into, like the situations that I gotten into, the conditionings that were with me, and really looking at like, well, why, where did I learn this? Like, what, what's deeper down in here? And part of that was doing doing yoga and bringing that to the mat and bringing that to my teaching as well. So I was able to take what I learned in yoga in martial arts training in different personal development and kind of like self-help things that I'd studied. And I was really putting it all together to do this exploration for myself. And it took a long time. It took a really long time. And it was a lot of, I I'm fumbling through and figuring it out. And once I got through it, which it doesn't end. So I I just want to preface that and say it doesn't end. But once I got to a certain point where I had really gotten into this deep down story, I, at that point had really developed kind of a process for doing this. How do I handle fear? How do I handle doubt? How do I do the deeper exploration? How do I propel myself to my next quantum leap of evolution? And I had developed this process. And once I had really kind of gotten through that first big uh, cycle of it, where I cleared out so much and a lot of things were changing in my life, I was like, oh my God, there are people who need this. Like there are so many people who feel the way that I did and they don't have a process for this. So I wanted to take that and bring it to other people. And so I've worked with different groups um, over the years and I focus on different people. And now where I'm at is I am focused on black people of any gender identity, any sexual orientation. So I am trying to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, but with black people, because we in particular have certain uh, conditionings and marginalizations and oppressions that we have to deal with that c- other coaches are not addressing. Yep. Like a lot, like white coaches do not know how to actually coach us through this yeah. because they don't experience it and they benefit from it. Yep. Exactly. And so they so th- so then for someone who's in a position with a white coach, 
even if you're not fully aware of it, there's a power dynamic and a privilege dynamic there that you feel that goes beyond just client and coach. Yep. There's this, is this person really going to understand me? Are they going to dismiss me? Are they going to shut me down? And I've experienced that mm-hmm. because I've had white coaches, which is why I don't work with white coaches anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I noticed that and I, and I was like, I can bring this to people who really need to be focused on yeah. and, and not saying that I'm the only one that, that I'm the only one who's doing it, but I wasn't seeing it in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had a process. I I'm a black, I'm a queer black woman. I have certain things that I've had to deal with and I can bring that to other people and help them through that process and help them to really express themselves fully in their life, in their creative work and make an impact with that work, make an impact on their community, on the world, on even just themselves. I'm so glad that you shared that with us because the coaching space is very white. It is just Mm -hmm. whichever direction you look, it is such a white space. And you brought up so many great points along the lines of not only do the struggles that we face as black creatives, black professionals, just black people, a lot of those struggles and feelings and things that we're working through, not only are white coaches probably benefiting from and don't get, but they don't even understand that those feelings and obstacles we're dealing with even exist, right? Yes. So, Which is why they shut you down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're being the victim. You're just being negative. And it's like, you can't just slap your love and light on every problem. No. We still have to live in a systemically oppressive world. And that doesn't get respect because one, we're oppressed and it doesn't get respect in the coaching space at all because not, not none, I'm not going to say none, mm-hmm. but the vast, vast majority of white coaches have not done their anti-racism work Yes, and they are not doing it. And it is not work that ever stops. So they haven't started it and they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. And that makes them an actual danger to black, to, to BIPOC, to, to black, indigenous, other people of color. It makes them an actual danger to them. Yes. And a lot of those people are also perpetuating the same systemic oppressions and not even realizing it because they're so used to living in a world that is built for them to excel. And they don't realize that they're excelling because of, for example, capitalism, mm-hmm. because of the way systemic oppression works. Their excelling is often at the expense of other people. It is built on the oppression of other people, but they they have not actually deconstructed it to see it. Yeah. Oh, I have chills because it just <laughs> it's true. There's so much truth to it. And I think these conversations are starting to happen more and more where people are starting to realize it. But honestly, we can't talk about it enough. Like no amount is mm-hmm. too much or adequate because it's so important. Yes, <laughs> yes I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm always like, I, I'm sure someone's going to be tired. Of like, is she ever going to stop talking about systemic oppression? No, no, I'm not. You know why? Because systemic oppression is never going to stop. Exactly. Systemic I- oppression is everywhere. White supremacy see is everywhere. And yes, I will, I will call it out as I see it. Exactly. And so for you being a coach, for you being a a black queer woman in such a white dominated space, I mean, has that presented, you know, challenges for you that maybe some of your peer coaches haven't had to experience? And how have you navigated that? Um, ah, that's an interesting question. I think just as an entrepreneur in general, Mm -hmm. it's just been, challenging in a way not to say that white people don't have challenges or that they don't have financial challenges but like a lot of the advice that entrepreneurs and online entrepreneurs give is built for white people yeah yeah you know a lot of the tips that they give are built for white people or people who are um 
in situations that are more typical of a white person where maybe they have family they, they can go to, maybe they have startup capital. And I didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm the first one really in my family who is building a business. Yep. And so in general, um, that's, that, that was a challenge. And so I, I've, which is why I have veered to like, okay, let me, <laughs> let me follow, let me follow black people. Let me learn from black people. Um, and even there, there can be a little bit of a danger if, because even black people who learn from white coaches, they perpetuate often the same things. Yeah. But that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still important to acknowledge. So I'm glad you said that. And so as a coach, um, I, I feel like there's probably like in general, people trust white experts more. Mm. And that's even people of color tend to, and that's part of our colonization. That's yeah. part of our, our internalized white supremacy, our internalized anti-blackness. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people do have to work through that, or, you know, a lot of people don't work through that, but I think I'm sure there are people who, um, bypass looking at me because I'm black and, and go look at someone else. I don't know. Honestly, I don't really think about yeah, it. Yeah. I don't like, I, I mean, I'm sure in the beginning, when I wasn't focused on black people, when I was just focused on people, um, I wasn't really feeling the, oh, I have to prove myself against white people. I know a lot of people feel that. Mm-hmm. I, I had done so much work on myself though that I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter who else is out there. I don't see anyone's competition yeah. because there is nobody who's me. There's nobody who has my process. There, there's nobody who does things the way that I do. And I'm not the right fit for everybody. And that's totally fine. But there are people that I am the right fit for, and those are the people that I'm looking for, and those are the people who are looking for me. So I don't see competition. I don't think of people as competition. But when I wasn't working with black folks, there was an element of feeling like I had to watch what I was saying, Mm -hmm. especially um, when I first started in, in coaching. I wasn't really talking about oppression. I wasn't talking about systemic racism. I wasn't talking about any of those things. I was talking about imposter syndrome and perfectionism and why you're starting projects and not finishing them. Um, and actually for black people, a lot of those underlying reasons have to do with systemic oppression and they have to do with the messages that we get about how we're not enough. But as I started to transition and started talking more about, um, patriarchy and misogyny, because I was working with women then, and I was I was really focused and targeted on women. Uh, I started to realize that I was feeling like I had to watch what I had to say because I was in so many white dominated online spaces, yeah. and the white dominated online spaces with people who were not talking about racism mm-hmm. and who wanted to be like, why do you have to make everything about race? Oh my gosh, does everything have to be about discrimination? I don't like to look at the news with all these killings because, you know, it makes me sad and it's not high vibe. I'm like, that must be really nice as a white person to be able to just turn your eyes away from it because I can't. Mm -hmm. I have to live this every day. I get nervous when I see cops down the street. I get to live that every day. It must be nice to walk down the street and be like, oh, great, there's a cop there to protect me because that's not how I feel. Mm -hmm. So that was where I started to realize like, okay, I am quieting my voice a little. Like I was, I was starting to dabble. I was starting to speak up a little, but I wasn't speaking up as much. And part of that, as I realized was if I'm not addressing these things, if I'm addressing patriarchy and I'm not addressing racism in that, because patriarchy, like when it comes to patriarchy, to hetero patriarchy, to, um, misogyny, to sexism, race is part of that. Yes. 
you you don't actually get to separate it because mm-hmm. I get to walk in this world as a black woman every day. So there is a difference between being discriminated against or having having someone um, ex- exert like sex against you as a white woman versus being a black woman. And a lot of white women out there don't want to talk about race. They only want to talk about gender issues because that's what's affecting them. Mm-hmm. And so as I was talking about different things, I realized that if I'm not talking about the things that affect black women and women of color, then I'm doing them a disservice and I'm really only serving white people. Mm. And that's where I was like, I don't want to work with white people anymore. (laughs) I just want to work with women of color. (laughs) So that's where I made that shift because I'm like, I want to talk about these things and I don't want to have to argue with white people about race. Totally. I'm like, that is not where my energy is best spent. That is a monumental waste of my energy. And, And that's fine. There are other people who do that. But for me, I'm like, I... I am best served actually helping black people to excel. Yes. Helping black people to work through their crap so that they can step big into the life that they are meant to, the impact that they can have. Because I feel like as black people and our many intersections, we have a great amount of power that we can tap into as a collective Mm -hmm. to create massive change in this world. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. First off, there's so much in what you just shared that I can relate to by leaps and bounds. And I've had a lot of really interesting conversations ever since starting this show, uh, because previously I worked in the fitness space and I used to do just very generic, like smoothie bowl fitness and transition to create balanced black girl and have conversations like the ones that we're having. And a lot of my previous, you know, um, folks who were following what I was doing had kind of misconstrued the message that I was here or created this platform to teach them how to be nicer to black and brown women in the wellness space. That like the point of this space was to kind of help them figure out how to include more people. And I had to have some really uncomfortable conversations and be like, actually, this platform (laughs) is really designed to put the incredible work that black women are doing front and center for their potential clients and people who are really interested in their work to be able to benefit from it. And if you, wherever you are, however you are, want to listen and also enjoy the content, that is wonderful. But that's actually not the the point of what we're here doing right now. And I had some really uncomfortable conversations and upset a lot of people. But uh-huh. it's kind I of it. it's <laughs> like what you're saying of knowing who your people are and knowing who you really want to serve and really standing in that because you know who's truly going to benefit from your message. Yeah. Yeah. And that what you just said is so It's such a great example of what it's like being a black woman having to deal with white and non-black people. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're like, what do you mean you're not centering me? (laughs) What do you mean I'm not the most important thing here? (laughs) Wait a minute, pause. Let's let's look at the ways that you're so used to the world catering to you and making everything for you. And understand that this space is not for you. I actually had to do that on my on my Instagram. I just did a series of uh of stories that I put in my highlight. And one of the first thing I said, I'm like, this is a black centered space. Mm-hmm. This is for black people, blah, 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 blah. And I said, so white people who are here following me, non, non-black POCs, I just want to be very clear. This is a black centered space. This space is not for you. I'm not here for your education. I am here to center black people. And if there's something that you do that is harmful, I will call you in 
that's a chance for you to examine, but that is absolutely not what I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. And I will block you quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like we have to set those boundaries because as, as black people and especially as black women, where our spaces, even our bodies are constantly being encroached upon, yep. it is vitally important for us to center ourselves in our own space. Yes. And prioritize ourselves and our health and our wellness and our mental well-being and our work and whatever else it is about us. We need to center that in our own spaces because nobody else is going to center us. No. Yeah. And we have to center ourselves and we have to do it unapologetically because it's really it's a mm -hmm. matter of survival. It, yes. it really is. And that's not to sound dramatic, but it's the truth. And it is also a it's so interesting that you said that because it's a matter of survival, but to center ourselves is also a contradiction of the ways we've been taught to survive. Yes. Of having to make ourselves smaller, oh. having to placate white supremacy, having to put your head down and just do the work, having to quiet your voice. Oh, so yes. for us to say, no, I'm actually going to make my survival about centering myself. That is a direct defiance of the ways that we have been conditioned. <sighs> It is, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm a defiant bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm here for it. So as, as, you know, we as black women, black people, black creatives, black entrepreneurs are really stepping into and reclaiming that power, um, I'm curious what maybe some of the common mindset obstacles that folks that you work with experience uh, that that they really need to work or that we really need to to work to overcome to really claim that power that we have to make change. Yeah, so there's the common things, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, um, feeling like you're stuck, feeling like you can't use your voice, but those are, those are surface things. Those are symptoms. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that I think a lot of people miss is they think the imposter syndrome is the problem. The imposter syndrome is a result. Mm. The doubt is a result. The fear is a result. That is an outcome of the ways that you have internalized certain oppressions. That is how it is now being externalized in your world. And so when I work with clients, this is why I say the deep personal work, when I work with clients and we dig in and dig in and dig in, one of the things that I have found that is affecting a lot of people that they never name because they don't realize it until I point it out is the Oreo complex. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So the Oreo complex is uh, the idea that you're not black enough mm -hmm. or that you're white on the, you're black on the outside, white on the inside. Um, and it comes, there's so many different ways that this messaging can come to you. It can come from black people. It can come from white people. It can come from non-black POCs. And it's the, well, you're, you're black, but you're not really black. Or, oh, you sound so articulate. Ugh. Or why do you talk white? Or I'm blacker than you are. All these, and, and that one, funny enough, can come from black people. And white people love saying that too. Mm -hmm. White people love saying that. So, all of these little, all of these messages that we get um, around our blackness and not being black enough, they they come at us, 
And this is also on top of the general world <laughs> messages that we get about being black, yeah. the ways that we are oppressed, the ways that we're marginalized, the way that we have less access to resources or finances, the ways that we get paid less money than other people. So all of these ways that the world is treating us like we're less. And then we're getting these messages about how you're not who you actually are. And what that creates in us is this um, sort of fragmenting of, of who you are, this, but I know I'm black, but they're telling me I'm not. So maybe I don't belong over there. Yeah. And the ways, depending on your different experiences, who it comes from, the ways that shows up in your life can vary, but it pretty much shows up everywhere. It'll show up in your relationships. Mm -hmm. It'll show up in your creative work. It'll show up in, the ways that you pursue certain endeavors, it'll show up maybe in staying in a job that you don't like, settling for pay that's less than you know you should be getting. It can show up as, it can show up as so many different things. Yeah. But the, the, the important thing about the Oreo complex is, one, the whole idea of the Oreo is a myth. There is no right way to show up as a black person. There is no one way to show up as a black person. We are global. And we come from a lot of different experiences, which is why people from all walks of life, all backgrounds get told the same thing. Yep. Okay. So people get called an Oreo. They get told they're not black enough when they're from Africa mm -hmm. and they come here. Oh, you're, you're black and you're not, you're not black. Like we're black. Mm -hmm. Okay. After Latinx people, you're not our kind of black or like you think you're black, but you're not really black. Mm -hmm. There's, People from predominantly white areas or predominantly white institutions, people who grew up in the hood, people who can't, who are really educated, people who are like, you know, maybe less educated. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but people from all different backgrounds get told the same thing, yeah. which means it's not actually about any of us. Yep. It's not about you and it's not about your blackness. What it is, is a manifestation of that person's internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. Mm. And they're projecting that onto you. And because of the different things that we've had to deal with, we internalize that and we operate in a way that is based in survival. Well, maybe I'll just stay away from black folks. Okay, let me let me try and be closer to white people because that's more acceptable and I'll be able to excel that way. Guess what? White people are going to let you know that you don't belong to them either. Mm -hmm. Even if you're mixed, yep. even if you're mixed white, yep. they'll still let you know. Mm -hmm. So there's all these different ways that we end up internalizing it and then showing up in the world that is really disempowering that actually holds us back while also perpetuating that same white supremacy and anti-blackness outward, which is why it's so important to actually dismantle it because one, you're going to dismantle it for yourself. You're going to understand how you've internalized it, how this is really showing up in your world, how it's holding you back in all these different areas. And also the ways that it has led you to maybe cause harm to other people. Yes. And so you become less of a harm to other people and you become less a harm to yourself because when you dismantle it, you then get to clear the path and clear those patterns that you've created to operate in the world that feels safer, that feels less risky, even if you're not totally happy, the ways that you, it feels like it's easier to survive, you get to dismantle that and show up fully in your power, in your wholeness, in your blackness, in whatever it is that you want to create in the world. Mm. Oh my gosh. Okay. I now have like 
so many, so many ways I want to continue <laughs> digging into that because there's it's very complex. It That's is. why I call it the Oreo complex Yeah, because it, it creates a complex in you and it is very complex. Yes. And this is like one of the big things that I work with my clients on. I'm like, nobody's talking about this because yep. nobody wants to talk about it because you just got, if you, if you got told by black people that you're not black enough, you don't want to go to your black friends 10 years later and be like, yeah, I feel kind of weird because I was told I wasn't black enough because they'd be like, well, I mean, you are kind of white. You don't want to hear that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so you just, you just kind of like box it in mm -hmm. and then don't realize 20 years later that you're like, oh, this is why I've isolated myself from people. This is why I'm afraid of black people. This is why I'm always chasing white dudes. Like, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is, however it is, it's showing up in your world. But it's because we, we immediately, like we internalize it so much yeah. and nobody wants to talk about it. And that's why I'm like, we need to bring this to the light because as we heal this and as we heal that anti-blackness that we, that we ourselves have as well, we get to come more into community with each other and that community gets spread and we are stronger as a community because yeah. white supremacy does not want us to unite. That's why this is based in white supremacy. Yes. It's all about how you can show up how these things are for white people and they're, you're not allowed to have them because you're black. You have to show up this way as a black person. That's all, that's all white supremacy. And white supremacy wants us divided because we are strong when we're together. Mm -hmm. So this whole rejection, this division that the Oreo complex causes, that's by design. That is a systemic thing. Ugh, yes. So when it comes to dismantling the Oreo complex, I mean, what do we do to dismantle it? When we have conversations with people and we hear those comments or people say things like that, how do we take care of ourselves in that moment? How do we respond in that moment? I just asked you like 12 questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I've been giving like 20 answers. No, it's everything. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it. I think the how you respond to it is something that comes after. It's something that you can monitor better after you've done the work. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you don't dive deep and do the work first, mm -hmm. then you don't really have a good understanding of the context of what's happening. So I think one thing that's important as you step into this is to recognize that the person, and I, I will give more grace to black people. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not giving this grace to white people, but black people who say this this is part of their hurt. Yep. And, and so we need to build, cause it can be very easy to go down the road of anti-blackness and like, Oh, well, this person said this to me and now I have this complex and what the hell were they doing? No, 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 no. Pause. Yep. <laughs> we are all steeped in, in, in white supremacy and anti-blackness. So let's have a little more compassion for the black folks who say this. I know it hurts. I know it sucks. But that is about them, and that's part of their pain, mm -hmm. their pain of dealing with the rejection from the world and the ways that they have, have internalized that themselves and tried to turn it around to feel better. So I think that's an important part of it um, when it, it comes to whew, the dismantling. I mean, I have like a whole process. I have a whole framework for it, but there's you have to get really, you have to get really honest. Yeah. And that's, that's hard. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's hard for people. And, and so you have to one explore, you have to get in feeling and explore the ways that you've been made to feel and, and then explore the ways that that has shown up in your world. Mm -hmm. So looking at how did that change? Like, okay, this person said, this person said, um, 
why do you talk white? Or this person said, well, you're basically a white woman. Somebody said that to me once. I got really, really pissed off. They said it at a party too. I looked at them. They were like, (gasps) they were like immediately like, no, (laughs) like trying to, trying to back, they were trying to backpedal Mm -hmm, so fast mm -hmm. out of that one. I was like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't take that back. Yeah, no, I was, I was really, I was really upset about that one. Um, cause it was someone I was involved with too. Yeah. And they're not, they're, they're not black. Mm-hmm. They're not in my life at all anymore, by the way. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if someone says like, oh, well, you're basically a white woman. And so you, we have to look back at like these things that were said and the way that they made us feel, because if you don't look at yeah. how it made you feel, how you internalize it. And, and I, I don't mean just the emotions. I mean, like, what did you feel physically in your body? Like, did you get, did it feel like a punch in your guts? Mm -hmm. You know, because as we tune into the feelings in our bodies, the signals of our bodies, they share, your body shares its wisdom with you. And then you could look at, Oh, this is, this is what was happening in that moment. And this is now how I ended up showing up in the world. Like this is the result. And when you look at that, when you explore that and you dive, dive deep in and you have to get honest about how the, the feeling, the feeling into it can feel heavy. Cause you're like, Oh my God, all these negative emotions, mm-hmm. but the looking at how that has resulted, how you have chosen to show up, up in the world, that's where you need to get honest in particular, because as we look at that, you're, you're going to come face to face with some stuff that you're not going to like. Yeah. And if you can't be honest about that, you cannot change it. Mm. The ways that we internalize things, the way the things that people said to us, we can't do anything about that. Yeah. The ways that we internalize it, we can start to do something about it when we understand it. But the ways that you have then shown up in the world, that is something that was choice. It might have been unconscious or subconscious choice, but that's choice. And when you own that that was your choice, yeah. when you own that these are decisions that you made, that this is how you have chosen to operate in the world you have the power to do something about it. You stop being just like, oh, this thing happened to me and I felt really bad about it. And now blah, 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 blah. I can't, I can't, I can't receive love. It's like, okay, this is why I reject love. Or this is why I don't believe love when it comes to me. Cause I was told that I'm not enough and that made me feel unworthy. So that becomes a choice. Yes. And that means you can do something about it. And it's not about blame. It's about responsibility. It's about taking ownership and responsibility of what you can actually change. And there is a great power in that. But that change also takes effort because you are used to operating a certain way. And that's why I I work with people because a lot of times we get to that change. There, there is a little bit of stuckness. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a little, a little fluctuating, (laughs) a little like going back and forth, this like wobbling between where you were and where you want to be and you need that person and you need community to actually help pushing you forward. Yes. I would actually really love to get and I'm that's like the perfect like segue is community and talking about having a community, having communities that can kind of I guess what is the right word that I'm looking for? As we are doing this work, it is freaking hard. It is a form of self-care that does not feel good. It doesn't feel like a massage. It doesn't feel like bubble baths. And it can sometimes be very easy to 
kind of run to people who will allow you to feel comfortable and not necessarily push you to do the work. And how do we kind of cultivate community that supports us, but also holds us accountable in doing the work? That is a good question. (laughs) That it. That's actually why. That's actually why I have a program and why I did. I I designed the program as a group because I'm like, you need, especially for people who feel like they've been rejected from blackness, being in community with people who also feel like they've been rejected from blackness. It, it shows you one that you're not alone, that other people are in this with you and that they are actually there to support you. So it's rebuilding um, that connection that was lost or disrupted or damaged and creating healing from that. Mm-hmm. Now, in your own world, this, especially for people who are called Oreos, can be really challenging because a lot of times the response to being called an Oreo is to isolate. Yeah. Yeah, it's to I'm I'm going to I'm going to be a loner because that's safer. I'm protecting myself from further rejection. Yeah. And so you have to learn. I think one doing the work yourself, like doing your doing this deep work yep. yourself is really important because as you do that and the more and more I do it and continue doing it, the the more I have been I have become discerning about the people I keep around me. Yes. So I have, I have left and lost whole communities of people that was like, these are, this is my family. This is my family from another mother. I'm always going to be in this community. And I had to leave those communities. Cause I'm like, you guys don't get it. Yeah. Like you guys are, you're not with it. You're not trying, you're not trying to be with it. And that because of where I'm going, what I'm learning and the, the very work that I do around this, I can't, I can't hang out with you guys in extended amounts of time anymore, mm-hmm. you know? So you have to do the work yourself because as you do that, you will become discerning about who you keep around you and you will develop a sense of power in yourself to actually set those boundaries and keep those boundaries and choose the right people around you. But I think um, having the right the right people is not necessarily the people that you expect. Yeah, It may not be family. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of times we get we have we have our problematic family members, yeah, and real. we love them, and we can't necessarily get rid of them because they're family. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can, but <laughs> sometimes you can be like, "All right, I'm just not going to engage with you anymore." Yeah. I have I have someone in my family that I'm like that I don't talk to, mm-hmm. but um, but the people around you are not necessarily your family. So finding people who are doing the work themselves, who are um challenging their own ways of thinking, finding good friends in that. Like I have a couple of really good friends. I have one in particular that like, we are constantly having conversations about this. We're constantly having conversations about like, Oh, that's my patriarchy talking. Mm. That's my, that's white supremacy. Like, Oh, this moment happened. And I realized this. And, and now I'm looking at the ways that I show up and blah, blah. And then we get into these long conversations, but finding those people around you and, if you're like, I don't have any of those people around you, maybe finding um, other communities. Yeah. Like, like uh, if you, if you're um, an artist, and I said because I'm in Chicago and there's like a huge black artist 
community here, Mm -hmm. then like maybe going to events with other black artists or if you're, you know, a black queer artist, finding events with other black queer artists, events that are talking about the important issues that matter to you and then making connections with people there Mm -hmm. because you're in a place where there's a common ground and there's a common, um, I guess not necessarily way of thinking, but common perspective that you guys can explore. And so it's not just like, oh, I met this person at the bar and then I found out that they're transphobic and I was like, oh, how are you get away from you? <laughs> you know, it's like if you're going into certain spaces, yeah. then then you're more likely to find people who have a similar uh, who are on a similar journey. They're doing similar work that have similar perspectives and that can expand your perspectives as well. Yes. So that's something that you can do. But um, yeah, I mean, community community is important. And it's, it's interesting because as I, even though like I have group program, like I have my group program and I build community for people through that, I am still working on being more in community with people myself because I isolated. Yeah. You know, I was like, I'm going to do everything myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. Like I, even though I had different communities in some ways, I also have isolated myself and I am, I'm working to even, change that patterning for myself now. So this is what I mean about the work never ends, yep, guys. There's yep. always something you're going to discover. Always. And so for me right now, it's like, okay, how do, how have I, how can I make sure that I'm not just isolating, that I'm not in like my hidey hole doing my work, that how can I make sure that I'm reaching out to people that are important to me, that I'm nurturing connections, that I'm, um, you know, connecting, even like bringing different people in different areas of my life together and, and exploring and playing more with that. And it feels challenging because I'm not used to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it feels like, like this, this, you know, like this muscle mm-hmm. that you're like, what? Like, like <laughs> I haven't done bicep curls in 10 years. <laughs> like, it's like that, you know, or like if you've gone too long without doing yoga and you get on the mat, you're like, oh my God, how long have I been war- in warrior two? Yep. You know, it feels like, like that where you're just like, this feels kind of awkward and, and fumbly and clumsy, but I'm trying, you know? And that's the important thing is that, is that you're trying and you're not going to get it right every time. Yes. You're not going to get it right. And it's going to feel, it's going to feel awkward and it's going to feel, it might feel confusing and you might come across people that you're like, Ooh, those people are, that's not, that's not, that's not for me, (laughs) you know, but the, the important thing is to keep trying. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we've touched on a little bit, or we've mentioned um, your course on this subject a bit, but I would love to have you share more about the course, what it entails, who it's for, and how folks can get involved, because this is really incredible work, and I just want to make sure um, our audience like knows where to go so that they can join if, if they feel so called. Yes. So the program is called From Oreo to Empowered, and it is for anyone of the Black diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, again, any gender identity, sexual orientation. And I actually say that in the beginning is like, this is an inclusive space. If you cannot let, if you cannot help cultivate a safe space for people of different intersections, this is not the space for you. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not going to allow even Black people to come in and bring harm to, um, other black people. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that I say, but it's for, for anyone of the black diaspora. I do say creatives again, creative is whatever it is that you're working on, but people who have something that they want to move forward and they're feeling stuck. They're feeling frustrated. They're feeling like they can't show up as themselves. 
and they want to clear that. Yeah. So in this program, it's seven, it's a seven week small group program. And, uh, it actually starts in September. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, you can actually get into it now. I, I open do- doors really early so that people can do payment plans. Um, if they need like a lengthier payment plan to make it easier for them. Yeah. So it starts in September. It's a seven week group program and there are actually two tiers of the program that I'm creating and I'll explain why in a second, but tier one is the small group portion. Now every week you'll have, um, you'll get videos that will, that will be training videos and exercises for you to do. And then we will have a group coaching call. And the great thing about the group coaching call is that you not only get coached, but you get to see other people get coached. And there's so much learning in that things that will come up that you're like, Oh my God, that's me too. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and there were a lot of moments like that, um, in, in this, in the, the early spring when I ran the program before. So there was a lot of that, like, Oh, I was listening to you talk to this person. And I realized that that's me as well. So there's that small group, group coaching component, And then you will have an action step each week. That is both a personal action step. So the personal work and then a creative action step. And so something that's going to move your creative work forward. Now, throughout the program, what we do is there's a clarity element where we're getting clear on what's really going on. What are your internalized oppressions? What's your deeper story, your particular flavor of the Oreo complex? And then we go into clearing, which is let's clear all these out. How do we heal? How do we change these patterns that have shown up? How do I make changes in my life that I need to to open myself up to what we're doing in the third phase really, which is creation. And that's what you are creating for yourself and what you're creating with your work Mm -hmm. and, and the impact that you want to have on the world. So, which is why I say creatives, because it's, like I said, it's the personal work and then it's the creative work. You can dig, 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 and do that deep personal work and get that understanding of what's going on. But putting that Creating the change that shows up in the world is where change really happens. Having a knowledge and an understanding, you know, I mean, people are out there who are like, oh yeah, I know, I know that I'm like this because blah, 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 and don't do anything. They just continue being the way that they are, that they know is harmful to other people, or they know is disempowering to themselves. It's because they're not actually creating a change. So this is about really creating a long lasting change. And the framework that we move through is a process that you will be able to take with you long beyond the seven weeks and to continue moving through the process and cycling back through as different things come up so that you are continuously dismantling the things that are holding you back and stepping more and more into your power, dismantle something new that you realize is holding you back, stepping bigger into your power so that you are, are eventually like your potential is just so much bigger than you even imagined it was. Mm. So the reason I'm doing two tiers is because I I also am trying to find ways to be more accessible. So tier one is the small group pardon, the small group component. Mm -hmm. It is a maximum of of 12 people. You do have to apply to get in. And there is also a scholarship. So I do partial scholarships. um, If you're having a financial challenge now, like I said, it's 12 people, you get the small group coaching, you get um, access to me through an app called Voxer. We have a group message going and um, really like personal guidance for you. The second tier 
is the content and the Facebook group. So everyone who's in the program, we're going to be in a Facebook group. We're building community. Um, so whatever tier you're in, we're in the Facebook group. But tier two is you get the Facebook group and you get the content. So the training videos, the exercises and the action steps. But you don't get that one on you don't get that contact with me. You don't get that um, the group coaching mm -hmm. and uh, and you don't get the the messenger the messenger connect with me, yeah. but you do get the content. You do still get to do the work and you get to be in the group and in community. And that group is a place to be supported, to give support and to be seen. So I really encourage people to go live, to share what's going on, to share what progress they're making, to share where they're struggling, to share any discoveries. And in that way, you're putting yourself out there and you're being seen. So I have the two tiers, tier one application, and you get, um, you can apply for a scholarship as well. Tier two is the content only, no application. You can sign up. So as long as you are of the Black diaspora, then you and and you're open, able to keep it an inclusive and safe space, yeah. then you are you are welcomed into the program. Amazing. I mean, it really sounds like such a safe space to do work um, that is challenging but so necessary. And I just really think it's wonderful that you have created that. So thank you so much for your work in that area. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm really excited about it. This is the first time I'm doing two tiers. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. So let me give a different option. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's again, like why, why I'm opening it up earlier so that people can do um, payment plans. And so if you are in tier one, also like we also do customized payment plans so trying to find ways that can make it work for you. Um, and that's easier to do because it's a smaller number of people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, if it was like, oh, we've got 50 people in here. I can't do customized payment plans yeah. for everybody. Yeah. But I want to find ways of being more accessible. Um, and, and on a note on that with the payment plans, something that I don't do that a lot of entrepreneurs do, which is if you pay in full, it's less. And if you pay in on payment plan, it's more. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. So the payment plan, it's the same price. Yeah. And I don't do that because that never felt good for me on the receiving end. It's like, if I could pay in a full, I would pay in a full. Yeah. So I'm being like, it's like rewarding people for being in a better economic situation and punishing people who are in a more challenged economic situation. Yeah. So it felt like this kind of capitalistic, um, white supremacist thing yeah. that I learned from white coaches. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so I was like, eh, this doesn't feel good for me. So I'm not going to do it, yeah. you know, because generally speaking, people who can pay in full will pay in full. They don't need that extra incentive yeah. to pay in full. Yeah. And I think that that is such a good real life example of questioning practices that we see all the time and being like, mm -hmm. actually, why, why do we do that? Why, what is that rooted in? What is the intention behind that? And choosing when you implement it yourself to make a change. I think that's an amazing example. Yeah. And also, what's the message that it sends to people? Because yeah. for me, it, 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 it kind of sends this message of like, well, if you really wanted it, you would work harder. And if you can't do it, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Because it's got this kind of punishment feel like, oh, I'm being penalized because I can't pay it up front. So now I have to pay extra. 
And so it sends this message that you're doing something wrong. And it's like, no, that you're not doing anything wrong. You're, you're doing just fine. Yep. You're doing just fine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. Well, amazing information. We will be sure to have the course where people can either apply for tier one or sign up for tier two linked in the show notes because it's just really, really wonderful information. Um, Kristen, a couple more questions for you just so that we can like get to know you a little bit better. Um, (laughs) I would love to hear what some of your favorite self-care practices are, especially as a coach, you're pouring a lot into other people, guiding people through really challenging work. So what do you do to recharge and take care of you? Oh, so, um, (laughs) One thing that I do, and I, sometimes I mess it up, but (laughs) I have a morning ritual that I do or try to do every day. Um, It got a little messed up this morning because I woke up like two hours later (laughs) because I slept really bad. And so I woke up two hours later than I was supposed to. I was like, oh my God, I need to get going. But um, so I have a morning ritual that I do that involves journaling, involves visualization, involves connecting to my ancestors, reading, doing my, my language app. So I, I go on Duolingo and I'm doing uh, French and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I do like my little dance party to like Beyonce and Cardi B. <laughs> so that's one thing is, is starting my day from a place of one, centering myself, nurturing myself, clearing my mind and connecting to my own, my own wisdom and um, my own power so that I can be focused through the day um, and align what I'm doing through the day with really my my intentions. So that's a really powerful practice for me. I also, um, I don't do this as regularly as I want to, mm-hmm. but I do have a kind of meditation called um, I rest. Mm-hmm. And it is, I have the, the audio. And so I, especially when I need to recharge, like if I'm feeling tired in the middle of the day or I'm feeling scattered, I'll be like, all right, I'm going to lay down for 30 minutes. I'm going to play this meditation. I'm going to um, go through it. And then it's a way of kind of resetting and recharging. Yeah. So that's something that I like to do. And then I, I do a lot of like check-ins with myself. Yeah. So like sometimes it's like, okay, I need to get on my mat. Sometimes it's, I need to go to the gym. Um, I haven't been to the gym in a while because I've had a lot of like health things and, and stuff in the last month, but I am trying to get back this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so, so taking that time that even when I'm really busy, even when I have different tasks that I need to do, or I feel behind is like, okay, what's going to nurture me right now? Do I need to make sure that I take this time to go to the gym? Mm -hmm. Am I willing to sacrifice going to the gym for this other thing that I need to do? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no, but I have to check in with myself in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Also being intentional about what I put in my body. So um, especially as someone who has health conditions that I am being challenged by right now is really looking at the ways that I can keep that under control and also nurture myself, my physical body, and also my mind. Because as you eat healthier, your brain can function better. (laughs) You have less fog. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And then I honestly just like taking, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this one, but like disconnecting. Yes. That's a hard one. 
put my fucking phone down. (laughs) And that's a hard one because I'll be like, yesterday I was like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. I went to the park and then I was like, let me put this on Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's like, can I just enjoy the park? (laughs) You know, so I was like, I'm going to put this on Instagram and I'm going to spend the next five minutes, five, 10 minutes actually just being in the park and I'm going to put my phone down. (laughs) You know, so like taking those moments to disconnect and, um, being more intentional. Like I, I do, I do fumble with these things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's important for people to know that like, sometimes you're going to fumble, sometimes you're going to mess up, but I'm building these habits. And, and that's the important thing because as I continue building them, they get stronger and stronger. Yes. So putting the phone down and I, I'm working on giving myself a full rest day every week. Mm-hmm. I have so far not. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm trying to make Sundays my full, like, I'd be like, I am resting today. Leave me alone. (laughs) I am, I am reading or I'm writing or I'm going for a walk or I'm meeting with a friend or I'm not doing work. You know, like I have to take myself away from it. Um, And also reading. So I love, I love reading. I I want to be doing more of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's part of why I want that rest day is so that I can read and also watch movies because as a film producer, I need to be watching movies. Yes. I need to be studying movies. Um, and that's not work. That's also, it's, it's, it's work. It's not really work. It's pleasure. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I could take a day and be like, Oh, let me watch this movie. You know? Um, so it's, it's fun and it benefits, it benefits my work in, in film. So uh, that's some of the, some of the things and then keeping really good people around me. Yes. So important. What I really appreciated as you were kind of telling us, what your self-care looked like is a few times you used the word nurture to describe your practices and talked about all the different ways that you nurture yourself. And I, you know, I don't know if I've heard self-care be described that way, but I really, every time you said it, I was like, oh yes, like I really, (laughs) just the idea of nurturing ourselves, mind, body, spirit, nurturing what we need in that moment, even though it fluctuates and changes because we fluctuate and change, I think it's just a really beautiful practice and a great way to, to look at it. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my favorite question what I like to end every show with is what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? <laughs> I've been thinking about this question for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, she's going to ask me yeah. a question. I got to think of an answer. Because every time I listen to the show and you ask that question, I'm like, what would my answer be? And it changes every single time. Yes. So That's why I love asking it because it's always different. <laughs> so for me, being a balanced black girl means – I'm almost not sure how to like phrase this, but it means checking in with myself, with myself being my true north. So it means Mm -hmm. that I need to look at the ways that I've been told I have to show up and how I'm still buying into those stories and pull back from that and be like, okay, let's, let's bring it out of these expectations. Let's bring it out of survival. What actually feels good for me and, and operating from myself first which is challenging because we do have all these messages, but showing up in a way that's like, okay, this is actually authentically me. This is actually what I want. This is, let me look at, wait, let me check in. Wait, is this how I was told to show up and really getting centered with myself? Mm -hmm. It also means taking care of myself. It means setting boundaries. It means getting in my body. It means connecting to my ancestors. It means, uh, embracing and expressing and exploring the full spectrum of my sexuality, 
which is something black girls get vilified for. Yep. And fetishized for at the same time. So it means doing all of these things from a place of love and power and I want to say nurturing, actually, (laughs) and and nurturing and recognizing where something else might be encroaching and checking myself on that. Mm -hmm. Because as I really tune into myself and am aware of the ways that other messages might be coming at me, that is where I can really make a choice on am I showing up fully as me or am I responding to something else? Am I really expressing myself um, sexually or spiritually or creatively? Where are, where am I, where am I pulling back and how can I challenge myself to move forward? How can I challenge myself to expand what I already think is possible, what I already think I'm allowed to do to expand what I'm already doing? So it means challenging myself too, Mm -hmm. nurturing myself and challenging myself. Yes. Oh, and I think both of those things can be really hard to do for yourself in mm-hmm. different ways because we can have a hard time nurturing ourselves by being really hard on ourselves and by judging and criticizing ourselves. And we can also have a really hard time on the other end of the spectrum and, and knowing when to give ourselves that grace. And so I think that that was an amazing answer. And <laughs> thank you. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. So, Kristen, how can our audience keep in touch with you? If folks want to work with you, how can they get a hold of you? How can we keep in touch? Yes. So social media wise, Instagram is definitely the place that you want to catch me at Kristen Iris, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-I-R-I-S. People misspell my name all the time. (laughs) Um, So at Kristen Iris, I am there. I post. I do live streams. um, So that's where you can connect me on social. You can also visit my website at kristeniris.com. And then um, there you'll see my different offerings. My podcast, I have a podcast called Melanated Rising. And and I can't believe I didn't mention that earlier somewhere. But yeah, I have a podcast (laughs) called Melanated Rising. Yes. You can find on different platforms, but you can actually, um, the, the main page for it is on my Patreon. So patreon.com slash melanated rising. And then, uh, my program, uh, I, I do have one-on-one coaching that's available. You can find that on my website as well, but the program from Oreo to empowered is at kristeniris.com slash Oreo to empowered. Amazing. We will have your website offerings, Patreon and social media linked in the show notes to make it super easy for everyone to find because I know everyone is going to want to follow, support, check it out, and we'll make that just super easy. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I love this conversation. I did too. I- 